my side of the mountain, in which the autumn provides food and loneliness. September blazed a trail into the mountains. First she burned the grasses. The grasses seeded and were harvested by the mice and the winds. Then she sent the squirrels and chipmunks running boldly through the forest, collecting and hiding nuts. Autumn. Then she frosted the aspen leaves and left them sunshine yellow. Then she gathered the birds together in flocks, and the mountain top was full of songs and twitterings and flashing wings. The birds were ready to move to the south. And I, Sam Gribbley, felt just wonderful, just wonderful. I pushed the raft down the stream and gathered arrow leaf bulbs, cattail tubers, bulrush roots, and the nut like tubers of the sedges. And then the crop of crickets appeared, and frightful hopped all over the meadow, snagging them in her great talons and eating them. I tried them because I had heard they are good. I think it was another species of cricket that was meant. I think the field cricket would taste excellent if you were starving. I was not starving, so I preferred to listen to them. I abandoned the crickets and went back to the goodness of the earth. What she need, sweet girl? Mama outside. I thought he didn't want his falcon I think crickets were probably all right, and he was he was letting her eat everything at that point because he had so much. But he, I think he would probably take it from her first, and then give it to her other door, sweetheart, the front door. Well, Elowen. Yeah, the cricket she was just grabbing. I smoked fish and rabbit. Dug wild onions by the pouchful and raised September for her crop. October 15th. Today the barren weasel looked moldy. I couldn't get near enough to see what was the matter with him, but it occurs to me that he might be changing his summer fur for his white, white winter mantle. If he is... Yeah, you need to... Where'd you get that? How'd you... You need to put that back. I know I ain't an egg, but I'm afraid you're going to... I don't want you to... I'm a little bit worried. Yeah, you put it back and be very careful, please. Kedman, go make sure that egg is in a good spot so it doesn't get broken. Show Bubba. All good? Yeah. Good girl. Thank you, Elowen. Really, really good. She put it in a little case thing. Oh, well, that's excellent. How'd she reach it? Can you push that the, the egg carton back? Cool. Thank you. Yeah, you've had another hair tie ring, huh? Yeah. You gonna put it on? Yeah. Uh, you gotta get mommy do that. Okay. Okay. If he is, it is, it is an itchy process. He scratches a lot, referring to the summer coat turning to the white winter mantle. 
Seeing the baron changing his mantle for winter awoke the first fears in me. I wrote that note on a little birch bark curled up on my bed and shivered. The snow and the cold and the long, lifeless month, months that are ahead, I thought. The wind was blowing hard and cool across the mountain. I lit my candle, took out the rabbit and squirrel hides I had been saving and began rubbing and kneading them to softness. The baron was getting a new suit for winter. I must have one, too. Some fur underwear, some mittens, fur-lined socks. Frightful, who was sitting on the footpost of the bed, yawned, fluffed, and thrust her head into the slate-gray feathers of her back. She slept. I worked for several hours. I must say here that I was beginning to wonder if I should not go home for the winter and come back again in the spring. Everything in the forest was getting prepared for the harsh months. Jesse Coon James was as fat as a barrel. He came down the tree slowly, his fat falling in a roll over his shoulders. The squirrels were working and storing food. They were building leaf nests. The skunks had burrows and plugged themselves in at dawn with bunches of leaves. No drafts could reach them. As I thought of the skunks and all the animals preparing themselves against the winter, I realized suddenly that my tree would be as cold as the air if I did not somehow find a way to heat it. Notes Today I wrapped it out into the deep pools of the creek to fish. It was a lazy sort of autumn day. The sky was clear the leaves beginning to brighten, the air warm. I stretched out on my back because the fish weren't biting and hummed. My line jerked, and I set up to pull, but it was too late. However, I was not too late to notice that I had drifted into the bank, the very bank where Bando had dug the, dug the clay for the jam pots. At that moment, I knew what I was going to do. I was going to build a fireplace of clay, even fashion a little chimney of clay, it would be small, but enough to warm the tree during a long winter. Next day, I dragged the clay up the mountain to my tree in my second best pair of city pants. I tied the bottom of the legs, stuffed them full, and as I looked down on my strange cargo, I thought of scarecrows and Halloween. I thought of the gang dumping ash cans on 3rd Avenue and soaping up the windows. Suddenly, I was terribly lonely. The air smelled of leaves, and the cool wind from the stream hugged me. The warblers, warblers in the trees above me seemed gay and glad about their trip south. I stopped halfway up the mountain and dropped my head. Yes, ma'am. Are you going to brush your teeth? And you got your hair fixed up? That's so nice. Yeah, ponytail. I can't decide in this light. I think it looks good. But you got a lot of hair and it's hard to make look even good. Very, th very thick. I stopped halfway up the mountain and dropped my head. I was lonely and on the verge of tears. Suddenly there was a flash, a pricking sensation on my leg. 
and I looked down in time to see the baron leap from my pants to the cover of fern. He scared the loneliness right out of me. I ran after him and chased him up the mountain, losing him from time to time to the ferns and crow feet. We stormed on to camp in an awful sight. Stormed into camp in an awful sight. The baron bouncing and screaming ahead of me and me dragging that half-scarecrow of clay. Frightful took one look and flew to the end of her leash. She doesn't like the baron and watches him, well, like a hawk. I don't like to leave her alone. End notes. Must make fireplace. It took three days to get the fireplace worked out so that it didn't smoke me out from the tree like a bee. It was an enormous problem. In the first place, the chimney sagged because the clay was too heavy to hold itself up, so I had to get some dry grasses to work into it so it could hold its own weight. I whittled out one of the old knot holes to let the smoke out and built the chimney down from this. Of course, when the clay dried, it pulled away from the tree and all the smoke poured back in on me. So, I tried sealing the leak with pine pitch, and that worked all right. But then the funnel over the fire bed cracked, and I had to put wooden props under that. Hello, can Daddy read, please? Yeah. Okay, thank you. The wooden props burned, and I could see that this wasn't going to work either. So I went down the mountain in the sight of the old Gribbly farmhouse and looked around for some iron spikes or some sort of metal. I took the wooden shovel that I had carved from the board and dug around what I thought must have been the back door or possibly the wood house. I found a hinge old handmade nails that would come in handy, and finally treasure of treasures, the axle of an old wagon. It was much too big. I had no hacksaw to cut it into smaller pieces, and I was not strong enough to heat and hammer it apart. Besides, I didn't have anything but a small wooden mallet I made. I carried my trophies home and sat down before my tree to fix dinner and feed Frightful. The evening was cooling down for a frost. I looked at Frightful's warm feathers. I didn't even have a deer hide for a blanket. I had used the two I had for a door and a pair of pants. I wished that I might grow feathers. I tossed Frightful off my fist and she flashed through the trees and out over the meadows. She went with a determination strange to her. She is going to leave, I cried. I have never seen her fly so widely, wildly. I pushed the smoke fish aside and ran to the meadow. I whistled and whistled and whistled until my mouth was dry and no more whistle came. Where? Huh? Uh, the light? The table? The whole table. Well, there's Legos and pencils and two boys playing. You're good. Good at brushing your teeth, aren't you? Of course. I ran onto the big boulder. I could not see her. Wildly, I waved the lure. I licked my lips and whistled again. The sun was a cold, steely color as it dipped below the mountain. The air was now brisk and frightful was gone. I was sure that she had suddenly taken off on the migration. My heart was sore and pounding. I had enough food, I was sure. Huh? Frightful was not absolutely necessary for my survival, but I was now so fond of her. She was more than a bird. 
I knew I must have her back to talk to and play with if I was going to make it through the winter. I whistled. Then I heard a cry in the grasses up near the white birches. Mm -hmm. Whistle. In the gathering darkness, I saw movement. Yeah, whistle. Whistle. She had caught herself a bird. I rolled into the grasses beside her and clutched her jessies. She didn't intend to leave, but I was going to make sure that she didn't. I grabbed so swiftly that my hand hit a rock and I bruised my knuckles. The rock was flat and narrow and long. It was the answer to my fireplace. I picked up Frightful in one hand and the stone in the other, and I laughed at the cold, steely sun as it dipped out of sight, because I knew I was going to be warm. This flat stone was what I needed to hold up the funnel and finish my fireplace, and that's what I did with it. I broke it in two pieces, set one on each side under the funnel, lit the fire, closed the flap of the door, and listened to the wind bring the first frost to the mountain. I was warm. Then I noticed something dreadful. Frightful was sitting on the bedpost, her head under her wings. She was toppling. She jerked her head out of her feathers. Her eyes looked glassy. She is sick, I said. I picked her up and stroked her, and we both might have... Toppling like she was going to fall over. And we both might have died there if I had not opened the tent flap to get her some water. The cold night air revived her. Air, I said. The fireplace used up all the oxygen. I've got to ventilate this place. We sat out in the cold for a long time because I was more than a little afraid of what our, of what our end might have been. I put out the fire, took the door down, and wrapped up in it. Frightful and I slept with a good frost nipping our faces. Notes. I cut out several more knot holes to let air in and out to the tree room. I tried it today. I have frightful on my fist watching her. It's been about two hours and she hasn't fainted and I haven't gone numb. I can still write and see clearly. Test. Frightful's healthy face. In which we all learn about Halloween. Halloween. Yeah, your cars, can you be quiet? Yeah. They all learn about Maybe we just be all done. Nah. Goodness gracious. October 28th. Elowen, all done cars. All done cars. Thank you. I'm dead. I have been up and down the mountain every day for a week, watching to see if walnuts and hickory nuts are ripe. Today I found the squirrels all over the trees, harvesting them furiously, and so I have decided that ripe or not, I must gather them. It's me or the squirrels. I tethered Frightful in the hickory tree while I went to the walnut tree and filled pouches. Frightful protected the hickory nuts. She keeps the squirrels so busy scolding her that they don't have time to take the nuts. They are quite terrified by her. It's a good scheme. I shout and bang the tree and keep them away while I'll gather. I have never seen so many squirrels. They hang from the slender branches. They bounce through the limbs. They seem to come from the whole forest. They must pass messages along to each other, messages that tell what kind of nuts and where the trees are. A few days later, my storehouse is rolling with nuts. I begin the race for apples. 
Entering this race were squirrels, raccoons, and a fat old skunk who looked as if he could eat not another bite. He was ready to sleep his autumn meal off, and I resented him because he did not need my apples. However, I did not toy with him. I gathered what apples I could mess with, bother. I gathered what apples I could, cut some in slices, and dried them on the boulder in the sun. Some I put in the storeroom tree to eat right away. They were a little wormy, but it was wonderful to eat an apple again. Then one night, this was all done. The crop was gathered. I sat down to make a few notes when the baron came sprinting into sight. He actually bounced up and licked the edges of my turtle shell bowl, stormed frightful, and came up to my feet. Baron Weasel, I said, it is nearing Halloween. Are you playing tricks or treats? I handed him the remains of my turtle soup dinner and, fascinated, watched him devour it. Notes The Baron chews with his back molars and chews with ferocity I have not seen in him before. His eyes gleam, the lips curl back from his white pointed teeth and he frowns like an angry man. If I move toward him, he, a rumble starts in his chest that keeps me back. He flashes glances at me. It is indeed strange to be looked in the eye by this fearless wild animal. There is something human about his beady glance, perhaps because that glance tells me something. It tells me he knows who I am and that he does not want me to come any closer. The barren weasel departed after his feast. Frightful, who was drawn up as skinny as a stick, relaxed and fluffed her feathers, and then I said to her, See, he got his treats. No tricks. Then something occurred to me. I reached it. I reached inside the door and pulled out my calendar stick. I counted. Twenty-eight, twenty-nine, thirty, thirty-one. Frightful, that old weasel knows. It's Halloween. Let's have a Halloween party. Swiftly, I made a pile of cracked nuts, smoked rabbit, and crayfish. I even added two of my apples. This food was an invitation to the squirrels, foxes, raccoons, possums, even the birds that lived around me to come have a party. When Frightful is tethered to her stump, some of the animals and the birds will only come close enough to scream at her. So Bird and I went inside the tree, propped open the flap, and waited. Not much happened that night. I learned that it takes a little time for the woodland messages to get around, but they do. Before the party, I had been very careful about leaving food out because I needed every mouthful. I took the precaution of rolling a stone in front of my store tree. The harvest moon rose. Frightful and I went to sleep. At dawn, we abandoned the party. I left the treats out, however. Since it was a snappy, cold, gold-colored day... We went off to get some more rabbit skins to finish my winter underwear. We had lunch along the creek, stewed mussels and wild potatoes. We didn't get back until dusk because I discovered some wild rice in an oxbow of the stream. There was no more than a handful. Home that night, everything seemed peaceful enough. A few nuts were gone, to the squirrels, I thought. I baked fish and leaves and ate a small, precious amount of wild rice. It was marvelous. As I settled down to scrape the rabbit skins of the day, my neighbor, the skunk, marched right into the campground and set to work on the smoked rabbit. I made some Halloween notes. 
The moon is coming up behind the aspens. It has been. It is as big as a pumpkin and as orange. The winds are cool. The stars are like electric light bulbs. I am just inside the doorway with my turtle shell sh sh lamp burning so that I can see to write this. Something is moving beyond the second hemlock. Frightful is very alert, as if there are things all around, too. Halloween was over at midnight last night, but for us it was just beginning. That's how I feel, anyway. But it just may be my imagination. I wish Frightful would stop pulling her feathers and drawing herself up like a spring. I keep thinking that she feels things. Here comes Jesse C. James. He will want the venison. He didn't get the venison. There was a snarl and a big raccoon I've never seen walked past him growling and looking ferocious. Jesse C. stood motionless. I might say scared stiff. He held his head at an angle and let the big fellow eat. If Jesse so much as rolled his eyes, that old coon would sputter at him. It grew dark, and I couldn't see much. An eerie yelp behind the boulder announced that the red fox of the meadow was nearing. He gave me goosebumps. He stayed just beyond my sto store tree, weaving back and forth on silent feet. Every now and then he would cry, a wavery owl-like cry. I wrote some more. The light from my turtle lamp casts leaping shadows. To the beech nuts has, has come a small gray animal. I can't make out what. Now, I see it. It's a flying squirrel. That surprises me. I've never seen a flying squirrel around here. But of course, I haven't been up much after sunset. When it grew too dark to see, I lit a, fi lit a fire, hoping it would not end the party. It did not. And the more I watched, the more I realized that all these animals were familiar with my camp. A white-footed mouse walked over my woodpile as if it were his. I put out the candle and fell asleep when the fire turned to coals. Much later, I was awakened by screaming. I lifted my head and looked into the moonlit forest. A few guests still lingering at the party saw me move and dashed bashfully into the ground cover. One was big and slender... I thought perhaps a mink. As I slowly came awake, I realized that screaming was coming from behind me. Something was in my house. I jumped up and shouted, and two raccoons skittered under my feet. I reached for my candle, slipped on, slipped on hundreds of nuts, and fell. When I finally got a light and looked about me, I was dismayed to see what a mess my guest had made of my treehouse. They had found the cachet of acorns and beech nuts and had tossed them all over my bed and floor. The party was getting rough. I chased the raccoons into the night and slumbered, stumbled over a third animal and was struck by a wet stinging spray. It was a skunk. I was drenched. As I got used to the indignity and the smell, I saw the raccoons cavort around my fireplace and dodge past me. They were back in my tree before I could stop them. A bat winged in from the darkness and circled the tallow candle. It was Halloween, and the goblins were at work. I thought of all the ash cans I had knocked over on the streets of New York. It seemed utterly humorless. Yeah, goblins. Having invited all these neighbors, I was now faced with the problem of getting rid of them. Yep. The raccoons were feeling so much at home that they snatched up beech nuts, bits of dried fish, and venison and tossed them playfully into the air. They were too full to eat anymore, 
but we're having a marvelous time making toys out of my hard-won winter food. There's no goblins. There's no goblins. Because he said goblins. But he was just talking about all the critters who were destroying his caches. Calling like them goblins. I don't like those two no. raccoons at all. Dumb. Uh, he invited them. Hello, <laughs> uh, and that was Bubba's chair. How'd you get Owie? He didn't invite them to throw Here, nuts. come sit with Daddy. He didn't invite them to throw dried fish and nuts. He invited him to his campsite. He did a foolish thing. Yeah, you play right there. It'd be okay. On your toesies? Ah, sorry. You want, you want Daddy kiss it? Oh, yeah, I'll better. I herded the raccoons out of the tree and laced the door. I was breathing relief when I turned my head to the left, for I sensed someone watching me. There, in the moonlight, his big ears erect on his head, set the red fox. He was smiling. I know he was. I shouted, Stop laughing! And he vanished into a magician's handkerchief. All this had awakened Frightful, who was flopping in the dark in the tree. I reached in around the deer flap to stroke her back to calmness. She grabbed me so hard I yelled, and the visitors moved the edge of my camp at my cry. Smelling to the sky, bleeding in the hand, and robbed of part of my hard-won food, I threw wood on the fire and sent an enormous shaft of light into the night. Then I shouted. The skunk moved farther away. The raccoons galloped off a few feet and galloped back. I snarled at them. They went to the edge of the darkness and stared at me. I had learned something that night from the very raccoon bossing Jesse C. James to animals. Might is right. I was biggest, and I was oldest, and I was going to tell them so. I growled and snarled and hissed and snorted. It worked. They understood and moved away. Some looked back and their eyes glowed. The red eyes chilled me. Never had there been a more real Halloween night. I looked up, expecting to see a witch. The last bat of the season darted in the moonlight. I dove on my bed and tied the door. There are no more nights about Halloween. End of part six.